Praise God. Are we ready for God's word today? Hallelujah. Living forward. We've been talking for several weeks about living forward, following God's trajectory for your life. How do you know that God has a trajectory for your life? He has a plan. And the question is, how do we get on it? And then how do we stay on it? Just quickly by way of review, uh, first week, this is the fourth week. And I know I'm going to be gone next week. And by the way, Jason Peaks is coming to minister to you next week, and it'll be a powerful week. Jason's the chaplain, campus minister director over at Regent, good friend. He's been here once before, and he'll minister next week in my place. But we have already talked about week number one, God has a dream for your life. And then second week, we talked about a hope and a future, uh, expounding from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Last week, we talked about distractions, detours, and drifts, the obstacles to following God's trajectory for your life. So where are we going to go today? Today we're going to talk about six lessons for pursuing your dreams. Six lessons for pursuing your dreams. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to use Acts chapter 16 as a, as a text really to inspire us to learn about these lessons. And let me give you a little bit of backdrop to the story, and I need to t- remind you a few things about the life of Paul. This is, this is a story in the life of Paul, a chapter out of his life, where God is doing great things in and through him, and he's, uh, he, he's following God's plan. He's following God's trajectory, and there's some vital things that we can learn about him. And we'll read a few of these verses, and uh, we'll probably read all of these verses from Acts 16, 6 through 34, but I'll just point out a few of them to you. Let me give you the background of the the story. You may remember the next chapter uh, 9, God calls Saul, then named Saul, calls him, knocks him off of his donkey, right? Gets his attention, and God clarifies his call to be a missionary to the Gentiles and uh, put, him on a, put him on a new path. Then later in Acts chapter 13, after Paul, Saul went through a season of training and preparation, in Acts chapter 13, the Spirit of God spoke through the leaders of the early church there in Antioch and said, it's time. It's time to get Saul and Barnabas on the road. And so hands were laid on them, and they were deployed off to the very first missionary journey. All right? So here we see uh, Paul and Barnabas and others. They begin to uh, pursue uh, God's mission that he had placed upon them. In Acts chapter 15, we find there's a council at Jerusalem to settle the issue over circumcision and whether Gentiles could really be, uh, be saved without circumcision and that whole big debate. And so out of Acts chapter 15, we see that Paul uh, that was sent from the council of Jerusalem to deliver uh, decisions that had been reached by the apostolic council that had gathered there in Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter 16 and verse 4 says, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Verse 5 says, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. So that's what had happened here in the beginning of Acts chapter 16. So Paul and his company, he always took people with him. All right. So Paul and the company of leaders that were with him, they were traveling, ministering from church to church, taking them the decision that the gospel was available for not only the Jews, but for Gentiles. And we didn't need to follow any aspects of the law to be saved, but we're simply saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That was the news. And it says that the churches were receiving and they were strengthened and they were growing as a result of it. And then we find beginning in verse six, 
This is an interesting section. I'm just going to read this part to you, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of probe into it a little bit more in just a moment. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the board of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so we find him at Troas with his ministry team, and now God give, gave further direction to them about what they were to do. So here we have a man of God named Saul, name changed to Paul. He has a clear assignment from God. God gave him the big picture. Here is your destiny. Here's your plan. You're to take the gospel to the Gentiles of the nations. That was revealed to him at his salvation experience, right? But isn't it just like God? He begins to seed us with this big, long-range vision and, and dream for our life. But the question is, how do we get there? And I want you to know today that the journey from point A to point C sometimes has a little meandering to it. And re almost rarely is it ever a straight path. See, so look at your neighbor and say, that's why it's not been straight, all right? That's why, that's why we've been going through this. And so we find Paul right here in Acts chapter 16. He's already been on one missionary journey, and now he's going out to deliver the message from the council at Jerusalem. And we find him, God begins to to give him fresh revelation and direction about a new step to take in this particular season of his life. Now you say, well, what happened here in Acts chapter 16? Let me just mention a few other things. We saw right there that one night he had a vision. We call it the Macedonian call simply because he sees this man from Macedonia in the vision in the middle of the night, and the man is saying, come over here and help us. Come, bring us the gospel. That was just supernatural guidance, wasn't it? So he sees this, and he wakes up the next morning. They had already been trying to go a certain direction, and the Lord had kept them from that. So now God gives them revelation about what his plan is. Even though you may have the big picture tucked away in your heart, you need to get fresh installments and downloads and upgrades about what God's timing and his plan is right now in this particular season. And that's what happened. And he sent them, it says in verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea, sailed straight for Samthras, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. Everybody say Philippi. Yes, you're right. That's where the book of Philippians came from, all right? They traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. Why do you think they went to Macedonia? Because of the revelation that came in the dream, right? So that's why they went to Macedonia. And while they were there, I won't read it all. It's really exciting stuff. But let me just overview it for you. They ended up winning three converts. These were the first European converts to the gospel. All happened right here in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi. And God is using Paul and his team. And the first one, can anybody remember who the very first one was? A woman! Hallelujah! There was a women's prayer meeting going on down at the river. 
And one of those ladies was named Lydia. She was a God-fearing woman, but she hadn't heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they went down to the ladies' prayer meeting. Lydia, who was a, a, a workplace, marketplace minister already, and she was in the marketplace, and she had quite a tender heart towards the gospel, and she became the first convert in Europe. And then the next convert was a slave girl, a slave girl. And this slave girl began to, to, to accepted Christ at one of their, at one of the meetings that uh, Paul and his group were ha- uh, gathered and, and sharing the Lord. And they were testifying and witnessing to people on the streets. And there's a slave girl who had been employed to be a psychic. All right. You can go back and read the story and you're all right. So she had slave owners and what they were getting their money from was the fact that she was being used to as a sorcerer she was using uh, she was giving um words that were from the enemy as a psychic to people and so they were getting money from this well, she comes to jesus she comes to Christ in, in, while they're in Philippi. And then, she, you may remember, it's the story of her following after Paul and his people. She kept saying, oh, these are great men of God. These are great men of God. You remember that? She kept saying, oh, these are great men. And one day Paul said, wait a minute. There's something kind of spooky about that. And he picked up through the gift of discernment. There was something behind what she was saying. What she was saying was true, but there was a wrong spirit behind what she was saying. And he turned around and cast that demon out of her. In Jesus' name, and then she was set free. Well, that's good news and bad news. The good news was she got set free. The bad news was it made her owners very angry. So the owners said, enough of this. And they went and had Paul and his team, Silas and others, arrested and thrown into prison. Beaten, thrown into the deepest part of the prison, and there we find them. And then in the middle of the night, you remember the story? After having been beaten, about midnight, I love the Bible's specificity, about midnight. In other words, it was late. Everybody ought to be asleep by then. About midnight, what are Paul, well, Paul signs, are they asleep? What are they doing? Singing hymns, worshiping the Lord. Remember what had just happened? They'd just been beaten. They'd just suffered great physical pain and persecution. Let me tell you, most of us, we've been through that. We might be complaining, not singing. Oh, I can't believe I must have missed God on that turn. Something happened to me. And so they're suffering persecution, and yet they're singing hymns. And then we know that what happened as they're singing. Thank you. Earthquake. God sends an earthquake, shakes the prison so much that everybody could go free. You remember the story? And it's like everybody, why wouldn't they go free? But so... Next thing you know, the Philippian jailer comes. He's got a knife to his throat. He's ready to kill himself because he's thinking, man, if all these prisoners go free, I've had it. They're going to kill me. The mayor of the city is going to have my neck. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't need to do that. We're all right here. We're all right here. We got a mission. We got a mission project right here. We're not going anywhere. We're under God's assignment. We're just on another season of his trajectory. We're right here. We're we're here to see what God's doing. We're not worried about the circumstances. We want to see what God's doing in the midst of it. And so right there, they led the Philippian jailer 
to salvation through Jesus Christ. And I love the scripture says, and he and the rest of his household, the Greek word there is oikos, his sphere of influence, the rest of his house came to Jesus. Some of you know, uh, ever noticed the brand of yogurt, oikos? It's kind of a cool name, actually, when you think of the branding. It, it's actually the Greek word for household or house or family. Uh, his oikos got saved. Now, we see Lydia, we see a slave girl, and we see a jailer. They represent, by the way, all three stratas of society from top to bottom. Jesus got a heart for everybody. Amen. The good news is for everybody. So that's the overview of what happened in the chapter. Now I want to take that chapter, glean out of it six lessons for you. Number one, number one, be clear on your vision. Be clear on what God has given to you as your destiny and your dream. What is the dream that God has dropped into your heart? In Paul's case, he went back to get the big long-term picture. He went back to Acts chapter 9 when he fell off the donkey and the Lord spoke to him, you remember, in that situation. And prophetically, through, through the, uh, the young man from the church there at Antioch, they went and laid hands on him. So that was clear. He was clear on that. But then it was confirmed by the church leaders. And then God even gave greater clarity to a specific time and assignment in Acts chapter 16, as we just read. My point is what? Be clear on what God's given to you to do. Most Christians fail because they're drifting all over the place with lack of clarity. We talked last week about Christians who simply don't have the right amount of focus. And in order to move forward, in order to stay on course with your trajectory, you need to make sure that your dream is clear. Now, dreams are going to get tested. We'll talk about that later. But you need to make sure that your destination and dream is clear. Listen, I, I, I you know... I've spent a lot of time, I've told stories before about moving around from place to place in other countries and not being familiar with where I was. And one thing I learned pretty quickly is if you use the local transport, which is a whole lot cheaper to do, if you can figure it out, do it. And so, but when you use a local transportation, whether it's a bus or a train or underground or whatever it is, make sure you find the sign that tells you where it's going to. Because if you get on the train that's going to Boston and you're trying to go to Orlando, you're not going to Disney World, all right? I got news for you. So be careful you don't get on the wrong bus or the wrong train with the wrong destination. Know your destination. Make sure that it's clear. And it'll help you out greatly. Um, a lot of people ask the question, well, how do I know? I don't have a clue what God's dream is. You've been saying this for three weeks. How do I know? How do I get a hold of God's big picture for my life? So I thought I'd give you some help. All right? These are what I call the five looks. All right? The five looks that will help you to conceive and receive God's dream for your life. First one, number one, look above you. Look above you. What do I mean by that? What is God saying? To get a hold of God's dream for your life, it's probably not going to happen with you just going through life, not praying, not seeking God, not spending quality time with him. You're not going to know. You're going to be on, you're, you're doing your own thing, making up your own plans for your life. But if you'll spend time with God and seek him, 
And I was thinking, George, about you regarding this, how that you really spent time seeking God. And yes, you were a truck driver, but God began to plan in your heart a dream to own your own truck. No longer having to lean and depend on other people to give you a, a fare here and a fare there. But now to have your own truck, you even had clarity on the color of the truck, George. Am I right? Even the color of the truck. And one day right out here in the parking lot, I said, George, after God began to do it and he got the truck, he was rejoiced. I said, George, is there any way you can just drive that truck up here to the parking lot one Sunday? He said, absolutely, Pastor, I'll do it next Sunday. He drove that truck up here. We got in that truck. We laid hands on it, didn't we, Jezreel? Laid hands and blessed that truck, and it's been blessed ever since, right, George? Amen. Why? Because he sought the Lord to see, Lord, what are you saying? just wasn't a good idea. It was a God idea. Number two, the second look is look on the inside of you. Look within you. Some people say, well, what does that have to do with God's vision? Because he made you. And because he'll put desires on the inside of you, he works through our own hearts. And he plants passion. And he plants these things organically in us. Don't ignore it. I have people many times say, well, I've got this real passion for music, but I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a business degree. Well, okay, that might work. That might be the Lord. But, but don't forget your passion. Your passion probably has a lot to do with God's ultimate dream for your life. What is your passion? Number three, third look, look around you. So what do you mean? Look around you. See what's around you. Look and see what context you're in. Sometimes we think that God, <laughs> we think everything that God does is, you know, is illogical or that doesn't have anything to do with our context Listen, I, I do a lot with church planners, and I always find it interesting that someone who's from New England says, well, I feel like God's called me to West Texas. And I hate to tell him, I said, I, I don't want to be mean, but buddy, you're not going to make it in West Texas, all right? Now, if you're a cowboy from West Texas, you'll do well, but a, a New Englander is not going to likely make it well in West Texas, all right? I suggest you probably just focus on where you're at. Maybe God's calling you to start a church in Boston. And, and my point is, look at the context. Look where you're at. Does that mean God can't call you to Chiang Mai? Doesn't mean that at all. But look at your context, what's around you, and begin to dialogue with God about it. And likely, your context will begin to make sense, and it will ultimately align with what God's plan is for you. Number four, look ahead of you. And ask yourself the question, out of your own heart. Yes, you're asking the Lord this too, but where, where do you want to be? Where do you feel like you're supposed to be and want to be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? Some of you, the Benedicts, were prophesying over them this morning. I mean, they just got married in December. I mean, they're young. They're, man, I, I'd do anything just to be back in their shoes again. Man, hallelujah. How many of you like to try it all over again and do a few things differently? Some of you are like, no, I don't want to go through that again. But anyway, my point is that, that ask yourself, where do I want to be? What's in my heart? What is my future? What resonates deeply within me? So look ahead of you towards your future. And finally, look beside you. This applies to resources that God has already put around you. This has to do with many times practical resources. Do I have the wherewithal today to begin to pursue this? Or is, is a training available uh, to me here? Or also, maybe it's people resources. 
Who is my spouse? And could they be supportive and a part of this? If they're headed this way and you're headed this way, you've got a problem to resolve as you pursue God's dream. You better get some clarity on it and make sure that you're equally uh, committed to that. So look beside you and see what resources God has given to you. I hope that these five looks are practical. They are practical, but hopefully they'll help you to conceive God's plan for your life. Number two. The second point I want to give you, the second lesson today is develop and execute a plan. Develop and execute a plan. Some of you are immediately reacting, saying, this does not sound spiritual. This does not sound spiritual at all. I promise you it is. The first point I want to make is that Paul was following a plan in Acts 16. He was, first of all, he was clear on his vision. Clear on what God was saying to do. He was already walking it out. He knew he was called to the Gentiles. He was pursuing that with all of his energy, all of his heart. He was already, Paul already had a strategic plan for his life and his ministry laid out. So we're going to take the gospel here. We're going to take it here. We're going to take it here. If you study the life of Paul in the early church in the book of Acts, tell me, did he have a pattern to what he would do when he went into a new city? Was there any kind of pattern or rule of thumb? There was, wasn't there? There was a pretty consistent strategy he would use. He would start by going where? Going to the synagogue. Thank you, Delane. He would start the synagogue, start the temple, and then he would work his way out from there. He was Why? You say, why was he doing that? It was a strategic plan. My point is what? He already had a plan. And this particular time, now God switched it up on him, didn't he? And we'll get to that in a moment. But my point is, you need a plan. Nobody goes into a game without a game plan. Someone say amen. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever heard this statement or not, but a dream without a plan is only a daydream, and that's a waste of time. A dream without a plan is just a daydream. So you need to have the dream, but then add the plan to the dream. Someone once said, man doesn't plan to fail. He just fails to plan couple of scriptures to make sure you know it's biblical. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to an advantage. Proverbs 14, 8. A wise person knows where he or she is going and how to get there. That's a plan. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Do you see the partnership? Some people try to make our, our, our walk, our Christian walk, so spiritual, so supernatural, they're of no earthly practical good. And then there are others that are so practical, so strategic, they totally leave out the supernatural. Let me tell you, it's a beautiful partnership of supernatural and strategic working hand in hand. A man's mind, a woman's mind, plans out their ways. But who ultimately needs to order it? The Lord comes in supernaturally, is ordering your steps. I don't know about you, but that's very comforting for me to think about. Amen? Let's look at the third lesson we can glean from Acts chapter 16. This is amazing. The lesson is simply this. Listen to the Spirit's guidance as you're pursuing your dream. Don't just haul off and say, that's it, I'm going, nothing's going to, I'm so determined, I'm, on, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. You may miss a turn, a God-directed turn. 
In Acts chapter 16, we already read there, it says in verse 6 and 7, it says they were attempting to go into Asia. It says, but having been prevented or kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And you might say, why would God ever prevent someone from preaching the word? Everybody needs to hear the word. Listen, God's timing. God's timing. Yes, it's his big picture. Preach the word everywhere. Go everywhere. But there's a moment. There's a time. There's a place. There's a plan. See? And in this particular case, the Holy Spirit interrupted the strategic plan. Hallelujah. God can even interrupt our 10-year plans. Right? And what did he say? Because Paul's heart was what? What was Paul's plan? Take the gospel to Asia. He wanted to break open new territory. Take the message to Asia. And what did the Holy Spirit say? Nope. Put up a stop sign. It says, we don't know exactly all the circumstances, how it happened, but we know the Holy Spirit basically kept them from going into Asia. Not, not going to do that. So then he backed off, waited on the Holy Spirit, and then he had a vision. Had direction from the Lord. Listen, if you begin to wait on the Lord and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, develop your listening ear for what the Holy Spirit is saying at a given moment, you begin to find yourself smack in the middle of God's plan for your life, and you won't miss it. I remember when um, Carrie and I, uh, obviously we had a plan and a personal life mission and plan, and my personal life mission statement is, is, to, is to equip, build, and equip healthy church churches and church leaders. That's my life mission, okay? So that's the big plan, right? Known that for years, so I'm on track with it. But I had absolutely no clue that after taking a full-time position coming off the, the, the road and traveling us for nine years, which I did full-time, taking a full-time position at Regent University in 2010, had no clue that in the middle, God would start messing with me about planting a new church in northern Suffolk. And I'm saying, what? <laughs> had every excuse in the world of why this wouldn't work, and it sure couldn't work with me. And I began to tell the Lord. I said, well, this, you know, this, is, this can't be. But I also learned to hear his voice. And the Lord began to confirm it and speak clearly. And so here we are today. The point is what? If I hadn't been listening to the Holy Spirit, I'd probably be doing something else today. But aren't you glad that the safest place and the most fruitful place to be is right in the will of God? Amen. Amen. Number four. Let's look at that. Number four. Appreciate. The role of others in your dream. Appreciate the role of other people in your dream, in the fulfillment of your dream. Some people mistakenly think that it's all just about them. My, my dream. I'm going for God, God's. But the, listen, it's not all about you. Nothing in life, nothing worthwhile on this earth has ever been accomplished without others involved. A team of people, the role of other people in your life is absolutely essential and valuable. So what I encourage you is begin to value other people. Some people are all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Listen, that's not the way Jesus wants us to live. And it's sure not the picture we have in the New Testament. So begin to put a high value on people. And then begin to employ team building in order to make your dream a reality. 
Because you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to, no matter what your dream is, no matter what dream God's put in your heart, and make sure it's from God, but no matter what it is, you're not going to get there alone. It's going to take your family. It's going to take other people outside your family. It's going to take some, it's going to take some spiritual authority operating in your life and covering. It's going to take all kinds of things to make that dream a reality. I, I just can't tell you enough the, the dangers that there are if you try to go it alone. The perils of trying to, I've seen it over and over again. People have just tried to do it alone. They either end up corrupted, their character is under attack, and then they fail and they become morally bankrupt or unethical practices, or they just can't make it work because they don't have a team to do it. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4? Two are better than one. A threefold cord. It's not easily broken. It says two are better than one. Don't try to go it alone. You probably have heard before of the Sherpas who served Sir Edmund Hillary when he made that legendary climb into Mount Everest in 1953. And this is what uh, the Sherpa said was his insight after the incident. He said, you do not climb a mountain like Everest by trying to race ahead on your own or by competing with your comrades. You do it slowly and carefully by unselfish teamwork. You want to make a significant climb? You better have other people that are doing it with you. Appreciate the role of others in your dream. Number five, be ready to endure some adversity and some resistance. If you want to pursue God's dream, we've been giving you a lot of wisdom, a lot of, a lot of help Uh, through these four weeks, but I'm here to tell you at some point you're going to face headwinds, kind of the prophetic word that came to the Johnsons. You're going to face some adverse conditions that are going to oppose you in your pursuit of that dream. Did it happen to the Apostle Paul? He's working with his team, busy there in Philippi. Everything seems to be going well. People coming to Jesus. He's building a group. He's building this, and people coming, and all that's great. Gets this young slave girl saved. Didn't realize that the result of getting her saved was what? He's going to get arrested. Got arrested, was beaten, persecuted, thrown in jail. Many of us would, in that point, we'd say, this, this must not have been God. That would be a mistaken conclusion. Why? Because anything that's worthwhile, and usually anything that's birthed by God, is going to face some opposition and resistance. So just because there's resistance doesn't mean it's not God. Listen, serving God, going for God's destiny in your life is not supposed to be a smooth path. It's rarely level and it's rarely straight. So just know that there's going to be some headwinds. There's going to be opposition from all different sources, people, from the devil, from all kinds of stuff. So you just be ready to deal with the adversity. 2 Timothy 2.3 warns us, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, do what? Endure hardship. That's one of those verses. No one wants to memorize that verse. Endure hardship. It's right there, right? Acts chapter 16 tells us, as we talked about and read to you, we didn't get to read the details of it, but beaten and jailed. Paul, we know, is common common through his life and his ministry was being persecuted he went through all kinds of stuff went through shipwrecks he was beaten he was kicked out of town he i mean is he was right on the verge of losing his life and all the time what was he doing pursuing god's dream 
He's saying, but all along, God was with me. God never forsook me. God never abandoned me. Henry Ford, the great inventor and leader, once said, obstacles are only frightening when you take your eyes off the goal. You're going to have adversity. You're going to have issues and resistance. I'll just remind you of a story time won't allow us to digress into the background, but how many of you remember the story of Joseph the dreamer in the Old Testament? You remember it? Let me tell you, that guy faced some adversity. I mean, he spent the first 17 of his life, years of his life. He was the favorite son of his father, but he was despised by his brothers. And then at 18, he gets thrown into a pit by his brothers, mistreated. He learns to be faithful, learns to be diligent, even while in prison. He went through hell as he was pursuing a dream. He had that dream tucked away, but man, there were many moments. I'm sure after, you know, Potiphar's wife threw him in prison, I'm sure he thought, man, what am I doing here in Egypt? This, this must be one of those detours Pastor Bobby talked about last week. It's got to be a detour. What am I doing here in Egypt? Nothing's, nothing's going my way. But the end was what? His brothers came. He provided for them from the abundance of Egypt. He became the second most powerful man in the world. Why? He was able to keep his attitude right through the adversity. And he kept his eye on the prize. I love the scripture. I'll just give it to you very quickly and go on. There's a great scripture that says in Genesis 49 about Joseph. Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. That's a good passage to preach on sometime, you preachers. That's a great one. And it obviously speaks of, it's a picture of Joseph's life. Going through great adversity, but the result, he just pressed on in, kept his heart right, and he was faithful. And what happened? He became a fruitful vine. All right, last point, we're done. Rejoice in all situations. Here at the end of the story, as I, as I commented to you, we find Paul and Silas in prison. And what are they doing after being beaten? They go through all that hard time, and they're in prison. And what do they do? They start singing and praising God. This is praise under pressure. I said praise under pressure. It's easy to praise God when everything's going sweet. It's easy when you just received a, a, a bonus check in the mail. You say, hallelujah, I feel like praising God. But who is going to praise God when things are going bad? When you've been thrown in prison, mistreated? I was just trying to do God's will. How many of you are going to praise God while you're under pressure? But this, if you begin to follow this principle and begin to rejoice and praise God, whatever the circumstances, even in the midst of what looks like terrible situation, God will intervene. The earthquake was God's intervention and plan. Doesn't the Bible teach us? It says be joyful now and then. Oh, no, it doesn't. It says be joyful always. All the time, that means regardless of the situation, right? James chapter 1 tells us to consider it all joy. That means it's not joyful when you face trials and difficulties. It means it's not fun. It's not joyful. There's no natural reason to rejoice. But he says, still, consider it joy. In other words, you have to decide it's going to be joyful. It isn't fun, but you have to say, I am going to rejoice in spite of the situation I'm in. I've given to you this morning six lessons. All of these taken right here from Acts chapter 16, and each of them will help you to pursue God's destiny 
for your life. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? How many of you can say, Pastor Bobby, there's something that the Lord spoke to me about pursuing my dream today. Would you just raise your hand and say, God spoke to me something to my heart today. Good. Take it, meditate on it, apply it to your own life. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you this morning. I ask that our prayer teams would come forward at this time, available to minister and pray with people. Listen, God began to speak to you. I believe there's a principle that says we need to act on the word of God. Don't just be hearers, but act on it. Be doers. Sometimes the action you need to take is just to tell someone what God was doing in your heart. Tell someone a decision you've made. If you decided today to be proactive about something, that principle you've heard, tell someone. These prayer teams are here to hear you, to hear your commitments, to hear your prayer request, to agree with you in prayer. God does miracles here at the front as people are being prayed for, ministered to, following our service. We know God's doing things all through the service, but I don't want you to take your eyes off of the opportunity that's being provided for you every week to come receive ministry. You need healing in your body? Come and let them pray with you. You need a resolution in your marriage or relationships? Let them pray with you this morning. Maybe today you don't even know Jesus Christ personally, or maybe you're far from him. Make a decision to come back to him as that prodigal son today. He'll receive you with loving arms, and one of these prayer teams will be happy to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Ari's going to come and dismiss you with a blessing. Father, I pray over each and every one of us today. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us and you have been speaking to us this morning and use the word of God. Let it not return void, but let it accomplish everything that you intended to do. Thank you for a wonderful time in your presence today. And we just pray, God, that you would deal with us where we need to be dealt with, that you'd comfort us where we need to be comforted. And we ask, Lord, for your ministry in and through us this week in Jesus' name. All right. By faith, I just declare God's goodness over your life. Jeremiah 33 and 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't understand. I declare God's clarity and God's voice being clear. The blessing of the Lord be multiplied to you. You are dismissed.